The following podcast contains spoilers and words that my mother would prefer I did not say. We watch Everybody and welcome back to We Watched a Thing for the first real ep of the year, I guess. I mean, we I had some fun the last couple of weeks doing the the top and the worst, and uh, I'm here, of course, with Dave. How you doing, Hello. mate? <laughs> I am good. Had a little bit of a holiday, but enjoyed listening to you, you and Sean and you and, and Jason for the last couple of weeks. But yeah, well, I mean, you you and I will have to do a Patreon ep with with your picks for best and worst because now I've I've got to know what they are. <laughs> I had not a lot of crossovers. I was, it was fun listening to you guys going, you've got what? You included what? What about this? <laughs> yeah, well, it's funny. After the episode with Jason uh, dropped this week, I got a message from Carney, who, of course, did the best of list with me with, with just all no other message attached. It just had his list of five worst films. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I was surprised. His were different again. The only... Um, the only mainstayer between all of the lists was Moonfall. Oh, fuck yeah. You, the, the only reason that would not be on a top five worst films is if you hadn't seen it. <laughs> yeah. But uh, here we are, first step of the year. How was your Christmas and New Year, mate? Yeah, really good, really good. Um, as, as you might have, well, I know you're aware, uh, made a point of introducing the kids to the Muppets Christmas Carol, which was a, a huge hit. And yeah, no, it was good. Um, worked through all the, all the regular Christmas classics. Had a nice tadakan on bo- for a Boxing Day lunch, which was a nice. came out a treat. It's a good one, and I see that you've also started working through our uh, required viewing list. I, I have, yes. No, <laughs> no, wait no, to no hear about sneak those. spoilers as to, how, but, <laughs> yeah. but, but I'm definitely yeah made some headway. Have, yeah, have you had they- a chance to get into any of them yet? Yeah, I started one just the other day. I, I just want to ask you one thing: you don't have to tell me what. Are there any shows so far where you have? already gone above the three episode requirement any that piqued your interest to that point oh one of them i've gone probably about 10 episodes past the three episode requirement Um, well that makes me happy so i picked at least one winner then (laughs) yeah um um, i I may do on some of the others as well uh, but that's more of a a time thing but yeah, (laughs) yeah one of them i started and just sort of didn't stop (laughs) <laughs> well, let's get into this. This week's going to be fun because speaking of uh, best of lists, speaking of worst of lists, who knows? We, I think uh, at least one of these movies has been extremely polarizing. I can't wait to hear where you stand on it. So let's get <laughs> straight into it. Uh, first cap off the rank today is White Noise, a 2022 absurdist apocalyptic comedy film written for the screen and directed by Noah Baumbach. It's adapted from the 1985 novel of the same name by Don DeLillo and it stars Adam Driver, Greta Gerwig, Don Cheadle, Rafi Cassidy, Sam Navola, and May Navola, and what is it don't, about? Don't forget Andre three thousand, mate. <laughs> yes, you can't forget Andre three thousand. And uh, what is it about, mate? Um, but, yeah, so obviously uh, an adaptation of the quote unquote unfilmable nineteen eighty five <laughs> yeah. novel from um, Don DeLillo, set in the in the mid eighties, and we follow an academic played by Driver and his family. You follow them sort of through. The, the first act of the film, and it's sort of very clearly delineated into three acts. Uh, the first act is is sort of them, his university life, their family life. Then uh, we enter the, the middle act, which is entitled The Airborne Toxic Event, um, and that does pretty much what it says on the tin. There is a, <laughs> And then the final act um, is back more, 
again, focusing on the family and in particular Greta, Gerwig, Greta Gerwig's character's dependence on a, a fictional drug called Dyla and how that re- resolves itself when uh, her husband Jack Adam Driver sort of finds out about it. Yeah. But what it's about really is death. <laughs> and America's superficial preoccupation with death. Uh, this is D- yep. Delillo's viewpoint um, for any American listeners, and I'm not having a swipe. Um, this is very much uh, how his sort of dark satire in the, in the novel. Preoccupation with death uh, and sort of the hypochondriac approach to it, dovetailed with very cynical view of consumerism and popular culture. I have a feeling that you would have really liked this film. It's just just a guess I have. But the film has been super polarised. Oh, I think before God, yeah. it came out, everyone was really, really keen. I mean, Noah Baumbach, hot off the heels of Marriage Story, which mm. I think was the best film of that year. I've always been a big Baumbach fan right since Squid and the Whale. Uh, collaborating again with Adam Driver, who who doesn't love Driver, God, and Greta Gerwig. This could be his year. Although we are talking about another film- um, in this episode that I think could very easily be in the running for a best actor as well. So oh, yeah. we'll get to that. And, and, <laughs> and also who knows if, if Fraser is still in the running. That's an interesting oh, one because he seemed like a lock yeah. for so much of the year and then the film itself hasn't been that great received as people were expecting. I, I think so. he's probably – the sentimentality thing is going to – Yeah. It, it, no one's going to want to vote against him because everyone yes, loves him the, so it's much. It's the we're sorry yeah. Brendan Fraser award. <laughs> but so so let, let's get into this. Firstly, have you read the DeLillo novel? Um, back in the 80s. So I was very, very high on it um, when I read it. Um, I think I read it either – Right at the end of high school or very early at uni. So it had been out for about five or so years when I was recommended it and, and got to yeah. it. And I was in a, it must have been early uni because I, I was in a very pompous <laughs> sort of frame of mind and getting right into whatever, you know, the whatever novel du jour was floating around. Um, but in, in this case, it, it's, it was, I, I did think of an outstanding book. And I totally understand why it's always been considered as sort of one of those unfilmable ones um, that obviously is eventually going to make its way to the screen, no matter how unfilmable it is, because it's popular. Therefore, it's um, you know there's money involved. So yeah, I, I liked the film. I th- I think Bombac did a very good job, probably as good as you could do. Yeah, um, yeah. with the subject and and the cast are phenomenal. There's, the production values, everything I think is excellent, but I do think there are elements of the novel that are almost impossible to translate to screen, yeah. and that's I, often the case with these sorts of satirical – Catch-22 is another one, no matter how I, good – and, yeah. and um, I haven't seen the more recent uh, Clooney Catch-22, but I, I'm a yeah. big proponent of the Alan Arkin film. But again – the film is fantastic, but it's never going to be as good as that book. Yeah. I, I was going to say a similar thing. I think Bombach did, honestly, a very admirable admirable job adapting this. And I, I maybe am of a different school where I don't- I don't think the novel is unfilmable. It's a fairly simple story in a lot of ways. It's not like it's narratively too big to film. 
I just think that there are some things that don't translate across medium. And no, I, think I that, agree. Yeah. So, I don't think that the narrative itself is unfilmable. I think that it's more the, the style of comedy, I think, does not translate very well to film. Um, it's kind of too absurdist and surreal, I think, even for a filmmaker like Bombach to pull off. Yeah. Um, and the bigger problem, I think, obviously, is the fact that the novel is all from a very specific point of view. It's all from the point of view of Jack, Adam Driver's character, and that is really, really hard to pull off on film. So, you know, you get some really weird things here, which I actually don't mind. I, I actually quite like the dialogue in this film, which I've I seen a lot of people superb. really rag on. I've seen a lot of people rag on the dialogue because they are right. It does all sound like it's, it's one voice. It's kind of hyper-real as well. There's People don't talk the way this family does yeah. in real life. Oh, yeah. You've got 100%. elements of the kind of Dawson's Creek effect where every single line is the line that you would craft <laughs> if you had an yes. hour to think of a line to say. Yeah, um, exactly. But th- there's also a very odd, almost stilted tone, particularly between Driver and Gerwig, which I loved, but I can imagine Same, yeah. a lot of people going- Oh, that sounds weird. That's not how people talk. <laughs> yeah. Which yeah, is kind of same. the point. It's, this is yes. not real life as we know it. It's, yeah. you know, it, it it's, a, it's a, of- almost a satirical consumerist version of American life in the 80s. Hence yeah. the, the supermarkets, everything is not quite real. Yeah. It reminded me of Killing of a Sacred Deer. I don't know if you saw that one, Yorgos Lanthimos. Yorgos, yeah. It's, it's a very similar thing where the dialogue, that's just not how people talk. No. And in that film, it's done to kind of put you off center a little bit and go, okay, this is kind of strange from the outset. And I think that this film being a comedy, I, I can understand why people don't like the dialogue. Like, I like it personally because it's just a style that I enjoy. Like you say, that kind of hyper real Dialogue. Yeah, it's 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 almost this uh, uh, this weird sort of plastic society, um, yeah. consumerism turned up yes, to it's eleven. Weird. Yeah, um, it's contrived. It, it's it's like it's like Orlando. It's not a real city yeah. in the same way that these aren't real people. No, like no, I mean he's a university professor who's not just a historian. He only stu- <laughs> teaches Hitler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Don Schindel uh, only teaches Elvis. This is a yes, very yeah. superficial society indeed. Yeah. And so there's a lot that I like about the film, but I do think that ultimately it doesn't come together as well as I would have liked. And so I'm kind of in between the people who either love it or hate it. I think yeah, there's I mean, things I, that I'm are a, good I'm about a, it. I, I'm not sort of rave levels about it. But the yeah. the comparison that came to mind immediately when I was watching it, not from the tonality so much, but as a period film set within our lifetime, I in this one in the mid-80s, and the immediate comparison that came to mind that made this one probably rise in my estimation was Licorice Pizza. Yeah, right. Which, yeah. albeit set 10 years earlier, is still... At least for one of the one of our, the posts of this show within our lifetime, um, <laughs> both of them very very well encapsulate their their setting. This is yeah. everything about this screams realistically. This is early to mid eighties. It, it looks and feels exactly like that. Licorice Pizza felt the same for the seventies, but Licorice Pizza yeah. was an overrated, boring wank fest. <laughs> it, nothing about that film. I, I almost turned it off. I was so bored. 
Yeah. There was nothing about it that grabbed me apart from the soundtrack and the setting, which resonated because of my advanced years. Um, whereas this, I found funny. I found the dialogue incredibly well written. The acting was fantastic. I wasn't bored once. As you say, I, mean, I think we're exactly in lockstep on this. It doesn't quite nail the satire, but it does yeah. as well as it probably yeah. could for the medium. I, I think I couldn't really criticise it overly other than the fact it's just it, it had a probably an impossible task yeah. to I really mean, get to 100% on, on delivering the source material. My, my biggest problem with the satire and the reason I don't think it lands and- Jason from Binge and I said the same thing when we watched the remake of Firestarter quite recently, which at, at least wow, this one. Bombok. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, they're both adaptations. You'll see where I'm coming from in a minute. <laughs> Firestarter is, a, again, a story that was written in the 80s. Mm. And the themes, the everything about it are very, very specific to that time and place. And I think that this is a story that is very, very similar. I think a lot of its statements on consumerism and so I, I don't feel like it's as relevant. In oh, this is society. a book that it came out of the Reagan era, and yes, that's exactly. when it yes. worked at its and best. So- at least, at least in the film, they've kept that setting, unlike the recent Firestarter, which decided to modernise wow, it and it just felt completely- yeah. yeah. You know, at least here we've kept the setting of the 80s. And you're right, the production design and everything is beautiful. Like, but I do think that the story itself just doesn't- It doesn't resonate as it well with audiences as, today. as well. Um, and I think that that's the issue for me anyway. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's certain- and And- you see it particularly, and um, I'm sure we'll get to the closing credits um, before yeah, we wrap on yeah. this because um, there's some stuff to say there. Um, but the generic brands that you see all down the shelves, just white packaging with black writing, chips, beer, yeah. peas, whatever, yeah. um, immediately brought to mind. Have you seen Repo Man? Yeah, Alex. Cox. No. Oh my god. No. Okay, we're going to do. We're going to need an episode <laughs> where we give each other tasks. Um, no, that's a another um, '80s film with Emilio Estevez that has a similar kind of skewering of that consumer society where everything is just generic labelling, as far as you can, or the eye can see, down the shelves. Um, yeah. So, like, yeah, no, I like that. What did you think? You're the score guy. What did you think of Elfman's? I actually loved it. I can't remember what the last film I saw that Elfman scored, but I remember thinking that. His last film I did not like at all. And I was like, oh, maybe Elfman's lost it. But I actually really liked the score for this film. And that that's kind of what I was- I didn't even- Yeah. I, I didn't pick it straight away, which yeah. for an Elfman, <laughs> he, yeah. he, he's not the Elfman we once knew where you could pick it from the first few bars. It, um, oh, definitely. Yeah. But he, yeah, because he's, yeah. he's one of the few um, things that's across the board kind of getting praise and, and award nominations yeah. and things along with the yeah. acting- um, I mean, the the I don't think that there's a bad performance in this film. I have no. to say, even the child actors in this film. I was going to say, that's one of the things I think Bombak was very clever with, is aging up the kids from the book, because they're all several years older than they are in the book. And I think okay. that's a very clever- It's a I mean, very smart move. I mean, we're both very aware that child actors just suck. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. having kind of the youngest major child cast member yeah. being above- a certain age and sort of into the early, yeah. um, she, well, it's not early teens, she's probably tweens or you know, 10 or 12 or whatever, but she's very good. 
Um, yeah. Was a very smart decision because if you'd the, yeah. in, in the book, I think they're all kind of around. Um, I think Denise is around like 10 or 11 or something. She's, yeah, okay. Um, as opposed yeah. to in this where she's got to be 17 or something at least. Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah. Very smart move, I think. You know what performance surprised me isn't quite the right word, but kind of reminded me of this person's greatness when they want to be. Don Cheadle, yeah. I thought, was fantastic in this movie. The best scene in the movie, far and away. We're going to agree on this. It's a is masterclass. The yeah, the that lecture is a that is simultaneously about Hitler and Elvis. I never knew that I wanted to watch a lecture about Hitler oh, and Elvis at the well, same because time. Because they're, they're basically doing this- Beautifully choreographed acting dance oh, where they Bombach does this brilliant thing that plays like a well choreographed action scene. Like it is, it's tense for some that, reason. You, you've then got and and just the cinematography and the editing were phenomenal. Between when when um you start with the two of them kind of having this Elvis Hitler dance off, <laughs> yeah, which is yeah. incredible. But then um, Driver kind of takes centre stage and Don Cheadle just sits down and just goes, yeah. whoa. Um, and that's his Oscar clip moment, obviously. Yeah. But the interspersal of him talking about Hitler and the rise of Nazism and the train crash yeah. is amazing. His, uh, and I only call this because I watched it again, um, which I didn't think I'd do. I thought After I watched it the first time, I thought, yeah, it's good. I kind of enjoyed it. I don't think I'll ever watch it again. And then I kind of wanted to refresh my mind because um, it had been a, a, a few days since I'd seen it before we recorded just on, on a few other things. And I kind of sort of did a skippy watch through jumping to key scenes. And yeah. the editing between Driver giving his kind of monologue about the rise of na- nationalism in Germany and yeah. the train crash, every arm movement of his mirrors the movement of the train or the truck. Yeah, yeah. And his intonation and what he's saying matches what's happening with the crash. And yeah. even to the end where he, you know, he finishes his little monologue and everyone's like, oh, fantastic. And the, all of the students kind of rush up, uh, you know, almost like the fanaticism around Hitler. Yeah. That then matches with all the train carriages sliding together to, around the flammable um, tank from the truck and it, yep. it just cuts back and forth and I didn't catch it all the first time round. everything from you know he'll pose with his arms out and then it flashes to the boom gate in exactly the same position on screen before the truck crashes through it and it's just watch that scene again it's amazing yeah absolutely yep. amazing yeah the only performance in the film that I've seen more mixed reviews about and I want to ask you about this is Gerwig she's the only really? performance that I've seen some people say that they don't like where are you on Gerwig I'm I, a massive Gerwig fan and I, I, you know this is just me I'm a, I'm a big mumblecore film fan like, I, I, I really like I like I mean I, I obviously like her directing Little Women was fantastic everyone loves Lady Bird um, I, I think she's a great actress. I think she was great in this. I think probably the reason why she might be polarizing is the same reason the film is because she is kind of the crux of that fake plastic dialogue. She, her her yeah. character epitomizes, the, you know, the the stilted dialogue more so than Driver or anyone else. So if you don't like the film because of that, she's going to be the big blinking red light of the reason you don't like it. And yeah. I think possibly yeah. that's it because I don't think you can fault. The quality of her acting. I think she's great. Yeah. 
That's fair. I, I got to ask you about this because I, I was thinking about this last night, particularly because the next film we're going to talk about, I fucking adored. <laughs> I've, I've been thinking about that film a lot and where that's going to place at the Oscars if it does. And so Banshees of In- Inner Sharon is based on an unproduced stage play. So I'm guessing that that will get an adapted screenplay nomination because the the Oscars are very strict on their use of adapted, even though it yeah. was unproduced. I feel like that's where it's going to place. Do yeah, you think I, I guess this you, film- you have to because the, the distinction is not whether other people saw the other version; it's whether exactly. you, the screenwriter, came up with the idea and made it up, or if you took another thing and turned it into film language. A hundred percent. That's right. And even though it's based on McDonough's own unproduced work, it's still it's still adapted from a play. So I suspect that's that, where that's you know, that, that 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 makes it a bit more of a grey area. But yeah, well, yeah, it does. The fact does. that it's unproduced, I don't think, is a factor in the categorization yeah. of it in the awards. But but I can't think of I can't really think of many other great adaptations this year. And so I'm trying to think of what this movie's chances are at the Oscars, even though it's been quite polarizing. Do you see this getting a an adapted screenplay nomination? Because I don't see it getting up for Best Picture or Best Director or any of that. I think the only shots are possibly screenplay and driver, but I'm not even sure it's getting up for screenplay. Yeah, I, th- I think it might just f- for the same reason as, as you're saying. I, I can't off the top of my head think of a huge number of other other contenders in the category. Plus, it's Bombac. Yeah. So no one's going to want to come out and be the person to say he's shit because, <laughs> you know, credibility and all. Um, Netflix are going to – this is going to be one of their big pushes, I would imagine. Um, did it have a – did it have cinema? It did have it a did, cinema if, release. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, they'd be I stupid. I know that here, people, here it was only a week. I don't know how wide it was elsewhere. But it definitely did have a, a small cinema release. And I yeah. would imagine that a large part of that is, yes, yeah, so that it's eligible. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. The, the, their, I, I would imagine this is going to be one of their big pushes. So yeah. I, would, I wouldn't surprise me if it's up for screenplay. I think Driver is um, – he's definitely going to get up for his nomination. And, yeah. I mean, I'm with you. I think it's probably still going to be Fraser's year, but who knows? Um, yeah. Drivers do as well, so yeah. Well, absolutely, he is. He is a fantastic actor. If nothing, I'm I'm always happy to watch him do anything, regardless of whether you like this film or not. Just watch that fucking lecture scene because oh, it, it, like you said, it's just, just incredible. It. I didn't love the the final act of this film. That lecture scene makes up for it. <laughs> I tell you but, what, though, I'm I'm glad it took so long to get to screen, considering it was always going to eventually did you because uh, for a long time it was barry sonnenfeld that was attached and that would have been a very different film yeah right it's so funny when you hear about all these different versions it's the same with like a confederacy of dunces which is another great classic comedy novel you know at one stage i think john goodman was in talks and uh john candy i think like wow <laughs> i don't know if that's ever going to get off the ground though but yeah it's so funny when you <laughs> So let's. Do, you, you brought up the closing credits. Oh, I've earlier. watched that five times just today. <laughs> Fuck, Ted. Speaking of Oscars, if that's not up for best original song, something yeah, is broken yeah. in those awards. I know that's the that one. I it's- think it's got the best shot of winning. Yeah, well, it's it's already had a couple of nominations. That's up for best original song in a feature film at the Hollywood Music and Media Awards. 
Um, the score has been, as you mentioned, nominated yeah. in a few different places. I would, I would bet money that that song is going to be nominated for sure. They, yeah, those closing credits, much like, and, and there, there will be people that don't like it because it's kind of absurdist and makes no sense. Yeah. But those are the people that didn't like the Age of Aquarius ending of Forty Year Old Virgin, and those people are stupid. Um, <laughs> it's surreal. It, it makes no sense. I fucking loved it. And any movie that ends with Andre 3000 dancing, shaking a box of cookies is just an A-OK in my book. <laughs> well, mate, should we move on to, uh, Are you to another? Do we want to score now? Or Oh, shit. Oh, yes. <laughs> we normally apply numbers to these things, don't we? And really- oh, my God. It's too, it's too early in the day. <laughs> no, yeah, you're absolutely right. How are you scoring this? That that's that question has been burning in my mind this whole time. How how are you scoring this film? I'm a seven out of ten. Okay, yeah. I mean, yep. actually, no. I'm going to say seven and a half after the rewatch. It went up for yep. me. Um, yeah. I think it's very enjoyable watch. Incredibly well made. Doesn't quite nail the tone, but yeah, shit, it did as good a job as anyone could. Yeah, I mean, as suspected, you are slightly higher than me. I'm a six, which I know sounds like a bad score, but every time I say, I have to remember, Topher just reminded me that's above average. That's an above average yeah. film. Like we are kind of like we've trained ourselves to think that anything below a seven means it's shit. No. I don't think this is shit at all. I think I there's yeah, lots I, of I, I really good parts of this. It's film. a seven and a half for me. I. I yeah. Would not recommend it at that level to everyone. I would probably recommend it at about a six because I think most people are not going to kind of appreciate it and enjoy it, it yeah. as much as I did because, yeah. you know, I, I have a particular bent for that sort of satire. So, yeah, yeah. I think the things that work really well about it work really well. Driver is fantastic. All the performances are fantastic. And I actually like the dialogue, but I just don't think that it carries itself as well as I'd like it to. And I do think it's too long, that's for sure. It is, yeah, it's a commitment to two and a quarter hours or something. All right. Well, shall we move on over to our next film, mate? Yeah, let's do it. All right. The Banshees of Inner Sharon is a 2022 dark, tragic comedy film directed, written, and co-produced by Martin McDonough, starring Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson, along with Kerry Condon and Barry Cogan. And what is it about, Dave? Irish island life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's um, about a couple of lifelong friends when one of them decides one day or announces one day that he just doesn't like the other guy anymore and never wants to speak to him again. Yeah, that's what I love. I Spoilers straight off the bat, I fucking adored this film. I saw it two days after Carney and I recorded our best of the year list and 100% this would have knocked a movie off that list. This would have been my number two. Oh, I, was gonna, um, I thought you were going to say it was going to be your number one. No, nah, it's not. It's not beating everything everywhere all at once. <laughs> but this is a fucking brilliant film, and I, I've watched it three times Damn. already. And the first time, I got to say, I was, I was kind of taken aback in that first twenty minutes. As you know, I don't watch trailers for films, but I did see this one quite a bit at the cinemas. Yeah. And it looks a I think lot it's a very funnier in the trailer than it is when yes, you watch it. it. <laughs> it's a very strangely marketed film. There's going to be a lot of sad people going to watch <laughs> this zany Irish comedy that is one of the bleakest, most dramatic, slow-paced yeah. films of the year. Um, and I love the simplicity of this plot. When it started and- you know, 20 minutes into the film, you're going, 
oh, this is, it's literally just about a guy who doesn't want to be friends with another guy. That That's the story. Mm. And I mean, oh, I, I loved this movie so much. What did you think about it? Yeah. I mean, obviously I came in with high expectations. One, because you fucking messaged me going, this is the fucking bee's knees and I want to talk about it. <laughs> um, but also it's McDonough, who I think is one of the most underrated directors oh. in the world. Four for four. Fuck it. it I'm a yeah. huge fan. I think Seven Psychopaths, I think, is one of the most underrated comedies of the last 30 years. I can't, I don't understand why everyone hasn't seen that film. Um, yeah. In Bruges, obviously, is In Bruges. A classic, yeah. um, and then, of course, he won the Oscar three for Billboards, Three Billboards, which I think is his weakest film. I, I was four. I, agree. So, yeah, I think this is his strong. Um, for me, this is my favorite, and maybe that's to do with the fact that I love his writing style. And this I mentioned earlier, based on an unproduced stage play, this reads the most like a play. Oh yeah, like the dialogue is very, very. There's a lot of, and even though it's quite bleak, there is a lot of playfulness to it as well. I I love the dialogue. It's, it's, and I mean, you and I both absolutely love comedy dramas when they're like oh, this, where yes. the, the funny bits, you're, you're laughing out loud at the funny bits, but the dramatic bits are incredibly dramatic. And we, yeah. we've, this is what, I mean, we've had a, a, two or three of them now in, just in the last few months that have done it perfectly. And this is another one. I was in yeah. hysterics at some of the f- funny, uh, you know, lines and, and scenes. Yeah. Bye. God, it's a bleak <laughs> film. It, it yeah. really is. I mean, and that's what one of the things that's so clever. It's the time, the, um, 1920, whatever it is where it's set, they're on this stunning fucking island. Yeah. And, I mean, cinematography we'll get to, but, by God, they're in, they're in this idyllic location. They're at arm's length. The Irish Civil War's raging. They can hear the gunfire from yeah. the mainland. It hasn't touched them. So yes. you would think it's just tranquil serenity, but they're all fucking going insane. Everyone in yeah. the entire community is a bit fucking weird because yeah. <laughs> they only see the same handful of people day in, day out for decades on end. It's not like there's a huge amount of traffic back and forth from the mainland or anything. They're in this rut of, I mean, Colin Farrell, um, Porrick's character, you know, he he walks cattle up and down the road and he goes to the pub at two o'clock, day yeah. in, day out, every day. Yeah. Fucking yeah. hell, I'm surprised he hasn't topped himself. And that's the same <laughs> for every character. They're in this stunning yeah. setting, but they're, 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 they're just treading water. Yeah, 100%. They're just marking time. That's that's all it is, which comes to the, the point of the movie, really, is that Brennan Gleeson's character, Colm, has kind of realised this and that's not how he wants to live. He's very clearly going through very severe depression. Oh, yeah. Um, and there's something I think really relatable, obviously, you know, I'm not at the point where I'm going to cut my fingers off. <laughs> Right? Like I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to pelt my feet. Don't do that. Then I'll have to edit. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but there, there's something quite relatable about his struggle. In that he is, he's obviously older aging, than he's an aging Porig man. As well. who's he's, he's, yeah. he's a good twenty years older than Porig. And yeah. 
let's face it, they've only been friends probably because there's only 10 people on the bloody island. And yeah, well, that's they're kind that's of, right. they've just fallen into a rut of friendship rather than having really anything in common. Yeah. Um, Colm's a musician. He loves music. And yeah. Porrig can't even pronounce Beethoven. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's an, he's an aging man who's realised that he's got, no legacy. He's got no mark on the world. He's left nothing behind. And like I think, honestly, we can all relate. A lot of us live like that. Yeah. We just we do our job. We come home. You know, if if you're lucky and if you think of it that way, you have kids and hey, you, you've left some kind of legacy mm. in them. But you do. But it's, it's, it's not like human, that's affecting the world. Human nature to start thinking. You know, when I'm gone, and I'm, yeah. not, I'm older than you, but we're both sort of. We're not 20-year-olds anymore. You do start oh, thinking yeah. about, you know, when my kids are adults, when I get older, when I'm, you know, when I'm gone, yeah. what will be, you know, what will my legacy be? And yeah. so you can relate you know, to that. But the, I think the clever thing with the writing of this is that I can relate completely to Porig as well. When they have oh, that face-off in the, oh. in the pub and he says, I don't care if I'm remembered in 20 years. I care if I'm yeah. nice now. Yes, and yeah. Colin says, you know, yeah, your sister's lovely. But you know who remembers who's lovely in 200 years? No one. He's like, what? Yeah. I don't care. It matters now. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's very clever because you can appreciate both sides of that. Oh, definitely. I think you appreciate both sides. But for me anyway, and I think this is very clear, Porrick is the hero of this film. Oh, it's just, I mean, there's a reason Farrell's up for best actor and Gleason's up for supporting because it's your viewpoint is- one hundred percent from him yes. for the entire film, and and Colm is an absolute c- oh, <laughs> like gosh. I said, like I th- I think his struggles are relatable. That doesn't mean I think any of what he's doing is justifiable. Oh, he he and- is obviously in the throes of deep depression. Yes, I mean the fact that, that he is, is he is so up to here with l- just listening to the inanity of Porig's yeah. speech. That he doesn't even want to be in the same room as him, and if you talk to me again, I'm going to fucking cut my finger off and throw it at you. Yeah, that is yeah. not normal behaviour. Yeah, um, yeah, and it's for you know I've seen a lot of people question the finger thing. You know, like he's a fiddler. What's he doing cutting his fingers? Well, that's the that's he, why he, the finger. Otherwise, it exactly. would have been a toe or any, any other statement. It's this. These are the most important things to me. That is how much I don't want to hear your fucking voice ever again. See, I, I think of it almost even deeper than that. Like, I, I felt like the fingers really, on a deeper level, are even more about his insecurities and his, you know, he's he's cut his friend off and now he's writing a song. And I think that he's still, he's still struggling. And cutting his fingers off takes that pressure away. He's done. He's written yeah. his one song. He can't write anymore. And that's fine. And he can still blame it on his friend. You know, he, he, he didn't he, write anything before that, that because of Porig. And in the end, he'll never write anything again because Porig made him cut his fingers off. Yeah. And I think that even, that's why it says works they, so well. When they have that very brief, not reconciliation, but moment of kind of what you assume is the old friendship when he says it's almost a relief. Yeah. I mean, we, 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 we've touched on how incredible Farrell and Gleason are in this, um, but Kerry Condon and Barry Keegan. Oh. Barry Keegan, Both fuck, that guy has an Oscar in his future. He is so good. 
Well, I, I think he'll be up for supporting for this. Oh, I would love to see Kyrie Condon get nominated for supporting because I think that she is exceptional yeah. in this film. And and she is such a necessary character as well to have this kind of... It's it's very interesting to have uh, both her and Kogan are the relief characters in this film, really. They're, they're the Which characters so that offer you that so weird because they're both relief. so tragic. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's fucking genius. And it's so rare. You know, usually your relief character is like a goofy kind of sidekick or something. And that's kind of what you think Barry Keegan's going to be for the first sort of 10 minutes oh. or something until yeah. until he sort of shows up having had the shit kicked out of him by his dad with a kettle. Yeah. Um, and then he starts getting more and more kind of tragic as it goes on. And then that fucking scene of either Lake where he tries to profess his love to Oh, Siobhan. <laughs> and she kind of knocks him back and he says, yeah, I expected that. <laughs> had to try. Yeah. Well, well. It's yeah. Like, Fuck me. <laughs> yeah. He's so good. I had no idea that Barry Cogan was Irish. Oh, yeah. No, he's, he's um, I've seen him in a few things kind of earlier on before he started kind of suddenly cropping up in, in bigger things. Did you notice, by the way, for a film that has a four, let's face it, four cast members- yeah, well, yeah. Two of them have been in DC films and three of them have been in Marvel films. <laughs> I, don't, I didn't notice. Because <laughs> Kerry Condon is the voice of Friday in all of the Marvel yeah. films. Yeah. Barry Keegan's obviously in Eternals. Yeah. And then you've got Colin Farrell, who's both been, um, what's his name? Not Deadshot. Bullseye in yeah. your, your Fred Affleck's. Daredevil film, um, <laughs> but he's also Cobblepot, which I reckon he's going to be up for best supporting for for the Batman as the Penguin. You reckon he'll be up for best supporting for, for the, the Penguin? Penguin? Fuck yeah! Oh, I mean, I know see, a that's lot another of film that up, you and I. That's another film that you and I disagree on quite heavily. I thought that film was fine. Oh, <laughs> oh dear, I don't know. But yeah, Kerry Condon was so so good in this film. I, I would be happy with this film. Getting as many nominations and as many wins as it wants. I, I still think that. And of course, oh yeah, but for me, Barry Keegan also in the Batman. Yes, yeah, for yeah, un, as an unnamed character. Yes, of, of course. course. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know who he stars. is. But um, oh my god, I fell in love with him uh, from Killing of a Sacred Deer. That like, with anyone who can, uh, yes, anyone who can make eating spaghetti that <laughs> interesting to watch. Have you seen Killing of a Sacred Deer? That spaghetti scene is fucking next level. I really like <laughs> your guys. Um, I mean, Farrell, obviously, in The Lobster as well. Uh, I, I there's, His weirdness appeals to me. Um, yeah. I, I, I really like his stuff. Yeah. How did you feel by the end of the film? Were you, were you satisfied with the way that the narrative- Played out. Were you, were you happy knowing that these guys were just going to continue feuding? I think for it's not as. I mean, obviously, it would have been more satisfying if there'd either been a reconciliation or there'd been some sort of you know he shot him or done something. But I think it's a far. Would more- you have? Would you have wanted him to have stayed in the house? No. Yeah. No. 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 Um, I. I think the options were either that Porry shot him on the beach. Yeah. Um. They reconciled and just went back into their rut, or they just it just kind of ended, and I think that's probably the best. I think it, it went McDonald went the best way, or the most realistic yeah. way, which is what would probably have happened. 
that they just it just kind of life went on as it always has on yeah. that island. Yeah, um, oh, I I agree. I lo- I love that it ends with you know this isn't going to end. Basically, like we are fighting to the death now. Yeah, their lifelong basically. friendship is now going to be a lifelong feud. Yeah, and and I kind of love that. I think obviously, you know, you brought up the Irish Civil War, which is kind of in the background of the film. But oh, never you hear a few gunshots across the way, but other than that, it's not mentioned until yeah. Um, Kerry Condon writes back to uh, Colin yeah. Farrell saying, "I've got a room for you. Come and stay. You know, you don't yeah. need to be on that." Fucking island, um, yeah. And she and I think that there's, I think that there's obvious kind of allegory about you know wars and civil wars in general in the story, and the fact that y- you can just picture these guys in five years, they won't even remember what they're fighting about, and it started over so simple as something is just I don't want to be your friend anymore, yeah. and it's just now it's it's ritual for them now it's just war. Mm. I, I think that's kind of really it's escal- strangely and beautiful in its own bleak way. Why the setting is so perfect because yeah, it's like the troubles, it's like the Ohio Civil War. It's it's to a point where both sides hate each other. Most of them can't remember why it started, yeah. but it's all consuming and it's the only thing that they, they think about. And, it, and then you've got it, sort of this microcosm of it on this tiny little fictional island off the coast of Ireland. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, it's such clever writing. Yeah. And so Shakespearean. I, I don't know if you oh, picked up is. on that. Yeah. Even to the point of having Definitely. the crone figure sort of predicting yeah. the future. I was like, yes. oh, my God, yes. this is like a modernization it's of a like Shakespearean. It's like Macbeth. Yeah. 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 I, I would be remiss as well to not mention the score by Carter Burwell, which is Fucking fantastic. And I hope that this film gets up for original score as well, because that is just a gorgeous piece of score. It's so, it's, um, it's, it really, um, it's so Irish. Every part of this film is so Irish. It really spoke to me. I loved it. Yeah. And God, gorgeous. Ben Davis, cinematographer. It's, yeah. Oh God, it's just stunning. Um, it is absolutely. Madonna, apparently, I, I read somewhere earlier today, said, um, he wanted to make the best-looking Irish film in history. And I reckon he fucking <laughs> nailed it because I just spent the he whole time going. He I know this is a fictional island, but I know it's filmed yeah. in the Irish islands. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. In, in a more and Ethel Island. And I, 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 fuck it. The top, it's rocketed to the top of my list of places I want to visit now is, is to <laughs> hit some of those islands. Yeah, I think what really nails it for me, though, it's very easy to make something look great when you have locations that are just fucking beautiful like that. Oh, yeah. But this, the cinematography in this is better than just that. This oh, yeah. isn't just nice looking scenery. I think that the camera positions, the compositions of all the shots are really, really perfect. There's very little uh, depth of field in the film, which I, I think is overdone these days. That real kind of blown out background, lots of soft- I don't think you need that all the time. And this film doesn't do that. And I think that it is all the better for it. There's lots of wide shots, really, really nicely filmed. And and you're also jumping between these incredible vistas of the islands and the the coastline and and, 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 um, all of the outdoor stuff. And then these tiny, tiny little fucking stone houses and pubs and where, where it's all very quite dark, lots of shadows. And both look incredible. It's not just yes. the big, beautiful. Oh my god! Outside, I could, I, 
I mean, I could make that look good. As you, as you say, I could go out there with my handheld yeah. and make it look good. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. having the atmosphere with those interior shots in the pub and in, the, in their two houses and that sort of stuff, um, yeah. beautiful, just beautiful. Yeah. I mean, it's no surprise I absolutely loved this film. I was a nine when I first saw it, and I've since upped that to a 10 because I just think this is literally a perfect film. I think the screenplay is so tight. The direction is incredible. The acting is next level. How are you scoring this film? Um, I've only watched it the once, obviously. I will definitely be watching it again. Um, at the moment, I would probably be a nine. Yep. Um, and first watch, I'd never go above a nine on the first watch. So, um, <laughs> yeah, recency bias and all of that. But it, I could see it going up. It, it's uh, a lot darker, definitely, but um, shares a lot of DNA with one of my favourite films of all time, Local Hero, the Bill Forsyth film. Um, it's a small village in Scotland. This is a small village in Ireland. Um, but there's a lot of similarity between the two other than the darkness in this one. Um, yeah. I can see from your face you probably haven't seen Local Hero, so I'm just mentally adding that to I the haven't. list. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it, that's another one which I think is a perfect film. Um, yeah, nice. Daniel and Dean from Movie Journey disagree, but they're flawed in their judgment. <laughs> All right. Well, there we go. Two two fun films to talk about. What are we getting to next week, mate? Where do I, are we in Guy Ritchie territory next week? I hope we, we are. are. We fucking are. fucking so keen. Yes. <laughs> Guy Ritchie territory. Jesus, I think you mean we're in Carrie Elwes territory. <laughs> <laughs> Operation fucking Rustiger. Yeah, you can expect some gushing next week. Uh, I mean, Elwes and Hugh Grant. Jeez. <laughs> oh, yes, I do enjoy some Aubrey Plaza. So, oh, that's going to be fun. Yeah, I have got to get to really that over the weekend. I'm, so, I'm really keen. <laughs> yeah. All right. Awesome. Well, in the meantime, if you want to get in touch with us, you can do that at wewatchedathing.com or wewatchedathing at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all under the handle at wewatchedathing. If you want to help support the show, you can do that at patreon.com forward slash wewatchedathing, and we'll catch you next week. Go watch the Banshees of Inish. Hello.